that if the field operator is worried about where you've got your paint from from one week to the next or, or where you bought your gun from or anything like that it creates a culture of sort of fear or or um you know panic and gets people uncomfortable and then they leave the sport that doesn't happen in, in the u.s Welcome everyone to another episode of Down Under Paintball. We're sitting down this week with Burke Grundy, one of the owners of Mac Dev. They're an Australian company taking it worldwide, selling guns all around the world, sponsoring some big name teams. We take a look at the behind the scenes of running a paintball gun manufacturing company and what it's like to deal with different countries all around the world. We also dive way back into the history of Mac Dev and what drives them to keep pushing forward with new and innovative ideas. I want to say a massive shout out to everyone on the Patreon so far. We've been having some great discussions on the Facebook page, talking about some upcoming episodes and some things that we're going to be working on in the future. Also just want to do a massive shout out to all the people that have been getting in contact with me. Really appreciate the feedback. Uh, I've had a few people reaching out and telling me about their own stories or about people around their way that they're recommending for the show. So thank you for taking the time to let me know. If you think that you know someone that would fit for the show, don't be afraid. Always can reach out. Just find me, Scott Martin, on Facebook. Or remember, you can email the show at dupaintball at outlook.com. Thank you once again, everyone, for dropping by. We're going to jump straight into this episode of Down Under Paintball. So we're joined this week by Burke Grundy. So welcome to the show, Burke. How's it going? Really well, thanks, Scott. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Oh, no worries at all. Thanks for yeah, taking the time and, uh, and sitting down with me. So wh- where are you calling in from today? So I'm in, uh, I'm in the south of Sydney, somewhere near our, our headquarters. Um, but uh, we're in lockdown, so I'm just at home. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So yeah, how is uh, how is you know how's uh, Mac Dev handling things with with the lockdown? How how's it affected uh, your day to day? It hasn't affected us too much at HQ because we're R and D mostly, so um, it's been business as usual for us. But the the sales and marketing guys overseas have been turned upside down. But to be honest, we're doing pretty well. They're, they're coming up with inventive ways and um, they're doing cooking challenges and <laughs> raffles and, and they've got us making new little natty products like triggers or whatever. So in a way, we've been a bit more busy than I thought we would be. Yeah, yeah well, just looking you know, through social media and stuff, this the whole lockdown's actually really, it looks like it spurred quite a lot of create, creativity. It looks like people are coming up with all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Yeah, it forces you to think sideways. So there's always a silver lining. Yeah, there's a... Who knows what will come out of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting times, that's for sure. I don't know what it will do to, to paintball either. Um, I, I think paintball's strong enough to get through it. Yeah, well, we've, you know, we've seen some... Uh, you know, we, the GFC was a pretty big hit on the the whole paintball community and uh we've been recovering from that slowly um yeah hopefully we can see the other side of this pretty soon yeah i hope so but yeah we'll maybe we'll have another boom after it yeah now there's uh we yeah, like just looking at you know even just uh you know in my space with podcasting and stuff like that this the amount of like media that, uh, and just content that people are making uh in the in the realm of uh paintball 
is massive. So hopefully that yeah does bring some new people out into the into the sport. Yeah, I hope so. If if it's well managed, I mean that's always been the way with paintball because it's it's still growing. If we take these opportunities, we, we could take people that are, are keen to do something new and and they've been sitting at home and maybe they'll you know, we'll get a good number of them rushing to paintball, which would be good good for the sport. Yeah, no, it's uh, always good to see the sport grow. <laughs> so, uh, so Burke, yeah, let's uh, you know, start with your history in paintball. How did how did you first get involved? Uh, we we were a an, a design company, an engineering design company, and we got involved because somebody came in the door and, and asked us to make an air system for for a paintball gun, and we didn't know what it was, um, so. We, we made it for them. Uh, it was interesting because we didn't want to do it. We were busy at the time and um, we made it for them. Eventually, after they kind of gave us a real hard time, kept coming back. And then they took it away and came back and said, oh, it was amazing. And then about a week after that, or maybe two weeks, they came back and said it stopped working. And, and we pulled it apart to see what went wrong. And the thing was full of grass and dirt and paint and you name it. And, and we thought, oh, what's going on here? You can't do that to a regulator. We were making regs for, for laboratories mostly. And um, so we, we said, we've got to see what's going on here. So we still didn't know what paintball was. And we went to the field to see what was happening. And once we went there, that was it. We got hooked in. Um, you know, we enjoyed it. We wanted more of it. Um, and, and one thing led to another. We we sort of started making guns, and the rest is history. Yeah. So uh, so who was that 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 was getting you to make to make the tank? So it was one of Mike Wybrew here in in Sydney at Action. It wasn't he himself. It was one of his guys that was working for him. Um, yeah, so okay. I think he'd sent him scouting around, or they were on the lookout for something. So we end up uh, going there, and we met Mike Wybrew and. Um, yeah, and that, that was how we got started. I mean, we were doing, we were making the regs for them originally, and then we, we parted ways over time. It took about a year or so, and yeah. that's how it all happened. Yeah, awesome. So, you know, you say we uh, got into it. Who, who's that? You and who else? So it's a family business. So it's my dad's business, and we, my brother James was working in the business. I wasn't even working. I was still university studying but I was working part-time so I got to see all this happen um, my mum's also in the business so we're all in there um, and and we've all stayed in there uh, my, my dad's just sadly passed away uh, quite a while ago now so soon after we made our first gun so you got to see that happen but we've all kept on going in the business and it's it's really consumed us. We had a, a completely different business making engineering things. Um, sorry about that. Yeah, um, right. And it, it just meant that we had to change entirely. Uh, we you know, Once we got into paintball, it, it slowly took over everything else we were doing because there was more fun, interest, passion, uh, and money as well in it than what we were doing. So it just changed our direction totally. Yeah, okay. So does the company still produce things that aren't paintball? We do, yes, yes. So we've always been an engineering design company. There's some people that still come to us to design something special. Um, we're, we're almost consultants like that. We've we've done things for big-name um, big people like NASA or wow. um, 
the government. So we did work on the trains, you know, the, the trains had problems with the doors uh, and all those things. So when there's a problem that no one else could solve around, then usually we, we sort of turn up for that. Uh, the Air Force, we're doing work for the Air Force. We haven't done anything like that for a while, but we still get the odd person coming and asking us to, to solve a problem, which is what James and I really enjoy doing, to be honest. That's that's what keeps us in paintball. It's what got us started is that when we first saw our first gun, it was a cobbled together nightmare of, of parts. And James and I looked at it and James looked at me, I remember, and he said, I could make this so much better. And and we thought, well, why not just do it? And once we realised that there was a few parts to make and people would pay, the business just started. Do you remember what that first gun was that you that you saw? The first gun I saw was an auto mag. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and closely followed, of course, by an auto cocker because they were really the two guns around. Um, and we looked at the two and decided that of the two guns we wanted to work on, the auto mag was what we wanted to work on because it's about half as complicated. Yeah. Um, but that ended up being not such a good idea because the cocker was so much of a better gun. Um, but interestingly, we we decided, I don't know if you know or not at the time, but paintball, the importation of guns was illegal at the time. Um, and so they were sort of smuggling things in and it made guns really expensive and we decided that to make an Australian made gun was a good idea and some of the old guys had whispered in our ears that there was another Australian made gun that had been done early in the piece and the designer had sadly committed suicide Um, it was it was so yeah the stress of it all oh okay um, yeah right probably should have turned us off it but um you know we did our first gun and then the day that we were ready to announce it, pretty much to the day, it was within one or two days that was Port Arthur Massacre. Yeah, right. So everything tightened up and and we pretty much had the brakes put on everything. So we'd gone to all the trouble to, to design the gun and uh, the massacre, massacre happened and, and it blocked us right out. So that was, that was a shame. I think that's a, a common thread across paintball if you talk to some of the old guys that, that event changed everything. Yeah, obviously the gun would have been semi-automatic then? No. Yes, everything was mechanical, semi-auto. Yep. Um, so that's what made it a really, really good time to be working on guns because any little clever change to the mechanism would speed everything up, would make it feel really good in your hands. Um, you know, there was no electronic trickery to be done. It was filing off sears and and taking it a few millimeters off here or changing the shape of that it was it was really interesting work yeah okay so so what sort of goes in you know when you're designing this gun is it is it when you're building your prototype is it something that you're literally hand like hand filing like hand shaping to uh like parts to it and stuff like that well no we were we were really lucky that we had a cnc machine shop already because yep. we were making the lab parts for, for regulators and things like that. So we had all the tools that we needed. That was the other joy of it, that when James looked at it and said, hey, we can do this better, he knew that he had the tools back in the shop. So we had everything computer controlled. It was just a matter of programming in 
what we needed. Um, so the first thing we did was just copy an existing gun. So we made an exact copy of, of an auto mag um, and then we just made it better and then released it as our own. So we had our own copy of the, the mag, which was actually much, much better. Yeah, okay. And, and what, so what was that? What, what did you guys name your first gun? <laughs> we called it um, the E-Type, which e -type. is, yeah, it okay. still makes me laugh because it, the, I don't know if any people know this, but almost all of our gun names are, are a joke in some way or a tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> so um, that's named the E-Type after the E-Type Jag, which rhymes with the mag. So yeah, okay. I guess you get yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Rhyming slamming there for you. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, uh, you know, there's all these gun names out there. You just gotta, they've got to come from somewhere. So it's it's always good to find out the story behind behind that. So so how did uh, so how, yeah, you know, you guys are releasing an Australian-made gun. Like, how did that, you know, was it easy to do with the with the with the laws and stuff like that around importation? Um, in some ways it was easy. In some ways it was hard because of Port Arthur. Uh, semi-automatic guns were just, you know, banned wholesale. So they just, they, they banned all guns. So it meant for about a year, while that was quietening down, we had to lay low on the gun. But what it did mean in the in the long haul was that people couldn't get guns. So an Australian-made gun was, was a good idea. So we were selling those guns to fields uh, and to, to private people who, didn't want to smuggle a gun or, or couldn't smuggle a gun, which is how all the guns were coming in at that time. Yeah, that's that's cool. So, you know, was there a lot of uh, meetings with the police or anything like that to so that you guys could, you know, did you have to certify them or do anything like that? Like, how does how does it work to to release a fire? What what is would have been back then a firearm? <laughs> yeah, there, there was a lot of work, so we we had to get a license. Uh, and that, that's a story in itself that there was no license for a paintball gun. So we had to get a license which would cover us for making firearms, which is a lot harder than, than you think. So there's a there's a small arms factory in um, out in country New South Wales, and that's really the only place where they were making things, and they were making them for the police and for the military. So we needed a license which was bigger than theirs because of the the – when they classed the guns, they were classing them by magazine size. So 200 rounds is a really big magazine for a firearm. Yeah. So that made them think, and the rate of fire was quite high as well. So when you yeah. class it that way, it's suddenly a really dangerous sounding firearm. So we spent ages trying to convince the police that they weren't a, you know, death dealing machine gun. They were a, um, you know, just a toy. So eventually we managed to get a license granted so and we still i don't think anybody else has had a license granted like we have and we've had a few interesting you know times with that as well there, there was a time when they wanted to take that license away from us and we ended up with um from the, the highest up intervention through the mps and through the attorney general so we've still got a, a framed uh, letter from the attorney general on the wall allowing us special dispensation to do gun parts that i don't think anybody else would have yeah okay that's uh yeah that's a, a the highest recommendation you could have i guess if if they've uh, cleared you for it yeah uh, 
I think they just realised that it didn't make sense to put us in the same category as those guys making you know, rifles. But yeah, that's, no, that's the story of paintball in Australia, isn't it? It's uh, the classification of guns has not been right. In fact, it's probably only the last two years or so that they've finally got it even close to right. Yeah, and even that, it's you know, it's uh, statewide. It's still for um, you know, at the federal level, they're still considered firearms for importation and stuff. So um, it still is, you know, a bit discon, a bit disjointed when it comes to the whole the whole country, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you, you're completely right. But from my point of view, if I look back 20 years ago, that would have been a dream. Yeah, no, that's it. It's uh, the, the, it, and then you know, in another 20 years, will people, whatever the laws will be then, but people will probably think that what we what we've got to deal with now is a uh, was archaic. Yeah, I hope so. I hope <laughs> everything keeps moving forward and and you can just get them over the counter. Yeah, no, it would uh, it would be good. It would uh. Like I'm sure that uh you know for anyone that that works in sales of of paintball gear if if it uh this has been such a turnoff for so long you know people rock up and say oh, I want to buy a paintball gun and oh wait I've got to you got to do what now I got to get a license I got to do a firearms training course like why do I have to do all this stuff and they just give up by the time you know you've finished explaining what they need to do let alone going through with it yeah that's right if you could buy a gun like a tennis racket then maybe we'd have as many people playing as, as play tennis. Yeah. Yeah. No, that we can only hope. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, you know, after you guys make the E type or what's the next step? Like did, uh, was that received well? Like did, did the ball keep rolling there? Um, it, it did well, but it was only Australia cause we couldn't sell it anywhere else. Um, it was really, even though it was an improved copy of a mag, it was just a copy of a mag. So for us, we, we'd we proven that we can make a gun, that we could make it well, all those things. But it still wasn't our gun, and that, that really bothered us. So we actually we turned around and we did a lot of work on autocockers, which, as I mentioned before, is a much better gun. So we thought, well, we'd better make sure that we're good at this too. And we got... We worked together with the guys who were making the autocockers and they gave us allowance to make autocockers under license, which is another thing which I think nobody else ever had, Um, not to my knowledge. Um, I think Eclipse was doing it or FreeFlow as well, but they weren't actually making it under license. They were just getting them still made in the factory. But because of our special situation, being not you know not able to import autocockers, they said, well, if you can prove to us you can make them well enough, then you can make them. And so we proved that to them, and and they allowed us to do that stuff. So that was a huge milestone um, to be given the go ahead by what was really a, a legendary manufacturing facility over there. They were, they were making the mess out of those things, um, and that really lifted our game. Uh, and then. When everything went electronic, I remember when when the shocker came out and everything really blew up with electronics. Once again, James <laughs> James looked at me and said, "That's what we got to do." And, and he saw the angel and the shocker, and um, and we said, "Well, we can do better than that." So that's when we did the cyborg, which was our real first gun. Yeah. Um, 
mean, I've probably skipped a few in between. We also did a bit of license work on the Bushmaster and, and a couple of other guns in between that sort of built us to that point. But it was about 2003 where we did the the Cyborg, and it that really revolutionised it for us because uh, the things that we did with that gun, suddenly it was ours and everything that was different was applied to our company. You know, if, if we made a really good autococker, it would just be partially attributed to War Games and, and the guys who made the autococker. But our successes on, on our own gun were, were attributed to the company and, and really built it. So, yeah, the, I remember that. That was a really exciting time because at that time when the electronics really took off, it was just, it was like an arms race. It felt like World War Two, where there was a race to see who could make build the fastest plane or the fastest machine gun or, or the toughest tank. It was exactly like that. It was who could build the gun that would literally just throw paint the fastest. And every year, everybody would try it. And there was about, you know, I'm proud of, of the fact that maybe in five or six years that we're working on it, we had two or three years where we had clearly the fastest gun. So getting that right half the time really put us on the map. That that got us, it gave us the confidence. It gave us the um, the international acclaim that allowed us to, to move forward from being just selling in Australia to, to selling overseas. Yeah, okay. So that was all, all off the back of the cyborg. Was it was that was your big push, you know, to, to take it uh, worldwide? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah okay. We were we were selling regulators um, and we we're doing air systems and things, but nobody really cares about that stuff. It's um it's yeah. the guns. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, it's, it's not really uh it's just sort of like one of those things you've got a you got an air system yeah, that's like no one really brags about what brand this is. It's exactly. Exactly. It can improve uh, performance or anything really. And we did, we kind of, we lucked into some things as well that, you know, the gun was so fast and we made a video that went viral and that was before things really went viral. And it was, it was really lucky that that happened. And then immediately after that, there was a tournament in New Zealand and the, the other teams all banded together before the tournament and tried to have, it was only our team. We sent a factory team over. They tried to have our team banned from the tournament for yeah. using the gun. And James and I were sitting back looking at this thinking, this is gold. I, mean, I don't know what would be better if, if they banned us or just by trying. But <laughs> I didn't realize how much um, publicity it was giving the gun. And when we got back from that New Zealand tournament, we couldn't make enough guns because yeah. people had heard that the other teams didn't want to play against it, which, you know, true or not, it, it probably wasn't true. They were just, you know, looking for any advantage, but they were really helping us out. I can tell you that much. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, any, any publicity is good publicity. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, I, I haven't even heard, never heard about that before, but obviously, uh, yeah, you must've put, put the fear in the Kiwis if they were worried about that. Yeah. Well, we won the tournament, which was, that was extra <laughs> luck, um, and it was you know, it was just lucky we went over there with the right team. I think uh, it wasn't particularly the gun, but it did it did help. It was it helped everything. You know, I remember 
making we were making guns there and it was only James and I making guns at that time and we had to work uh, two 12-hour shifts for about four months to just get on top of production uh, wow. and we, we were both machining them and building them as we were going in 12-hour shifts. Yeah, so when you did make that switch from, you know, like autocockers into the electronic guns, was there was that something that, you know, printing circuit boards and, and stuff, was that something that you guys sort of had under control as well or is that a new thing to learn? No, it's new. We've only really started doing those things in the last four or five years. So at the time, um, we just we just had a local company deal with the electronics. <clears throat> and yeah. me. So that, that was kind of good. Um, and they did such a good job. So the speed of the gun was partially due to their good work and partially due to James's you know, actual mechanical design of, of the ram of the gun. So I'm glad that we used an Australian company to do that. And, and those electronics lasted a long time and were really good. Yeah, oh, that's that's cool. That, um, and it's, it's good that it's an Aussie company as well. It's good to see, you know, all these uh, Aussie companies uh, stepping up and taking it to the rest of the world. Yeah, you'd be amazed at how good the innovators Australians are. You, you find us everywhere. And when we went to do the paintball work with people, they already knew about paintball. That's one thing. Even the Americans, sometimes you go around the States and some people still don't know what paintball is, which is amazing. But yeah. people here who are innovating are just, I think Australians are interested in tech. So, you know, we found that as soon as we mentioned paintball, people were interested and they wanted to work on it. And it gave us a real leg up in the in the first years because there are a lot of people that were interested to work with us. Yeah, well, it's... um. Yeah, like in in the area of pneumatics and stuff like that, just just being able to get I don't know a paintball gun to do what it does. Like I can sort of understand how like a pump action paintball gun works. That's about as far as my like engineering uh, mind goes. <laughs> but just to get something to shoot that quick and cycle that that fast, it's um yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I don't know how you yeah. guys do it. Yeah, well James is the one. He's um he still does all our drives and he's a bit of an unsung hero about it. He, I remember the cyborg, which was as fast as, as he made it. He didn't, there's something about him. He doesn't even design on the computer. He'll sketch everything out on a pad and then he programs the computer, which I, uh, the, the machine, which I mentioned is CNC controlled. He doesn't, everyone else plugs into a PC and gets some software to do it. He does it longhand. It's like the matrix. Like you'll, you know, <laughs> you see him working with, ones and zeros and you know on the screen and he just does it straight in the machine which is very unusual so he's kind of when it comes to drives and pneumatics he's just he's got the knack that's for sure yeah it's um that's that's crazy yeah it's just, uh it's uh like i know a bit about like computer programming and stuff and they do they speak about um you know guys that are able to to you know work in like assembler and and you know the the very like building blocks of of computer programs so that's that's crazy that yeah you can take it from a piece of paper and uh put it into a cnc machine it's it's a um almost like a uh, what am i trying to say like a a bit of a an artist <laughs> yeah it's just a, yeah. an unusual skill that's for yeah sure. Yeah, that's oh, crazy. So, so what is you know you, you said it was it was you and your brother putting the guns together back then. Like, what 
what is the scale of the company like how is the the paintball side of things grown you know what is it still just you and your brother putting them together (laughs) no no i wouldn't do that anymore i I think i'd I'd be dead by now if i was doing that (laughs) yeah we we sort of expanded we expanded in a few ways we've tried so many ways of, of expansion and some of them work and some of them didn't so we set up offices in the u.s and so there was a time when the the american office was like we'd machine all the parts and ship it over there and they would um, anodize and assemble it and, and sell it. Um, and then if they weren't doing a good job, there was a period where they would anodize it, send it back here. And we would, we had assemblers that we trained up. So we had assemblers here doing it. And we've now we use a combination of all sorts of things. So we have a few different anodizing places that we can do it in because we've found that anodizing is up and down. So we can do it you know, in the US, we can do it. Here's really hard. We've had too many bad problems with, with anodising here. So pretty much the rule is not to anodise in Australia, unfortunately. Yeah, um, okay. So the USA is pretty much still the best place to anodise if you want good anodising. Um, so we've got a lot of our, um, our USA guys remain quite well trained about assembly and, and working. Uh, so we still maintain good techs in Europe and in the USA to supplement assembly or to assemble local finished guns. Um, and the, the market's changed as well that there's a lot more custom guns too. So yeah. it's really important that the Americans or the, the Europeans can assemble things and, and work on them the same as in the factory. So when you say custom, you mean like the team, the team colours and that kind of thing? Uh, not just team. It's pretty common for a, a one-off to be made in the U.S. as well, yeah, particularly okay. the U.S. That Europe is bigger on team customs, so we'll get you know ten guys all the same, or maybe just change a, a team number or something. Um, but the Americans, someone will come in and say, "I'll give you five hundred to do this splash, or make me a Warhammer uh, gun, or whatever." Yeah, so, yeah, cool. and they can do it like the you know the where our office is. There's an anodizer locally and they can do all that stuff. So it makes for a, a good marketing thing because if we don't get that sale, the other gun companies will. They're, they're more interested in the finish, actually, than the gun sometimes. Yeah, okay. And it is um, it is a bit of a, a shame, you know, the like how you're saying that it was an arms race for a while there with, with the guns to shoot faster. And now with, with capped ramping, it's sort of, um, it's sort of taken that away. It's, um, there's not... You know, really, it's it's like air and and other improvements you need to to make on the guns. But unfortunately, it's um yeah, it's sort of taken the pizzazz out of the guns, I guess. Like you, you <laughs> really could um yeah, you you could really make those things like sing and 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 shoot fast. But it's a bit yeah, of a shame now. <laughs> I'm a bit sad about that. It's um you know, making the guns shoot fast was cool. It was also okay for me when when ramping came in because at the time they didn't um limit paint or they the caps were still high that efficiency was then an issue um ergonomics was always an issue and so there's always something to work on there still is but i'm sad that we can't work on speed because that was the most fun yeah it was nothing more fun than putting up a video of your gun shooting um you know 34 35 with paint um and everyone you know being excited about that whereas now they're excited about how it feels or how it shoots or 
or the look or whatever. It's, it's missing that pizzazz, as you say. Um, but I still enjoy the guns. I still enjoy tech and, and working on it. And there's still plenty in it for us. But it's unfortunate that you know, it's almost like the Formula One cars being limited to 60Ks. It's, yeah. it's a shame. Yeah, and um, but I, I guess that you've still got one big market, like the Woodsball guys. Some of them still care about speed. Some of them want to shoot as fast as possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have there. <laughs> this is true, and and also the comeback of of mech stuff interests me. Um, that I think that there's some interest in there and things that we can do to make make it fun again. Yeah, it's um, it's just crazy. Like everything sort of does that swings and roundabouts. So. Uh, um, I, I mentioned on an earlier episode that maybe we'll see a pump division come in the next few years if it goes that far back to that retro. Well, you may as well just go to tube. <laughs> be... Yeah, I don't think it's... Uh, you never know. It, it, we laugh about it, but it could happen one day. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, going back to... You know that you said that you sent a team over to New Zealand. Um, was that with the X-Fighters then, or...? Oh, no, no, that was well before the X-Fighters. So the X-Fighters yeah, okay. was only um, formed because of the AXL. Yeah, all right. Um, so that was – it was just a one-off factory team, we called it, because basically we'd made the gun and we hadn't really tested it well and we wanted the guys to use it in a tournament. And so we got together some guys that we knew and that, that were pretty good players and said, hey, we'll – we'll give you the guns to use if you guys call yourselves MacDev Factory and go over there and do your best. And yeah, that was turned out to be a good idea. Yeah. No, cool. So, um, you know, so speaking of our teams and stuff like that, do you and, do you and James ever get out there on the field much anymore? Or are you too busy in the, in the shop? No, I haven't been on, on a paintball field to shoot at someone uh, <laughs> for, I don't know how many years. Um, I walked off the field one day because of something, Someone said to me and, and said, I want to get back on and play tournament paintball ever again. Uh, yeah, okay. So uh, I haven't. I've gone to the field to test guns and stuff like that. But, you know, to be honest, I was a mediocre player at best. And while I enjoyed playing, I was welling over my head. I, I was. I only got on the X-Fighters team because we, we needed the numbers and they needed someone to work on guns, I reckon. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was, I was lucky enough that, they trained me so that I became, you know, good enough that I could play. Um, and I think that's that's the strength of the X-Fighters, actually, that um, there was a, a period of extremely good culture and and training, which has helped me with, with my design work because um, the guys who taught me how to play also taught me how a gun should be to make you play better uh, ergonomically. So, um, yeah, I don't get on the field to, <laughs> anymore to, to play, to answer your question. James has um, other pursuits as well, and we both found that it was a little bit, unfortunately, too political in Australia for us to really enjoy. Yeah, it's, um, it is a bit of a shame. Uh, it does get a bit like that sometimes. We are, we're such a small community, and, uh, yeah, there'd be a lot more paintball out there if uh, we could all just you know put all that aside and just play let's get yeah. along yeah yeah, yeah definitely um, uh, it seems like i don't know the the newer people coming into the sport seem to just be a bit more about the game and uh, you know old grudges have been forgotten and things like that but 
yeah, I think it's just you, you probably I, I can't speak for that well for other countries, but I'm sure it happens all over the world. There's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can speak well for it. I've been travelled a lot for it, and it does happen everywhere. So we don't need to feel bad <laughs> about it. <laughs> but unfortunately, the smaller the the um the forum, the the nastier it can be, or or the more difficult it can be. So Australia suffers a little bit from being small, but it happens everywhere, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you did, you know, with the X fighters, you had a I, I um didn't never got to play on the team, but I definitely played against them a lot of times, and it was a good. They were a good uh, bunch of ambassadors. Couldn't couldn't have picked a better group of guys for, you know, to have uh as the flagship team for that period. Yeah, they were really good for us, really good. Um, you know, we, we learnt a lot off the field. We formed bonds. Some of those guys were really good. There was a culture. Um, you know, it allowed us to to bring in a lot of foreign players. Like, we used the team to to bring in some of the foreign players who we used for training um, and for teaching us things. And they taught us things in the company as well. It just really broadened our horizons. So... The X Fighters is a, a really good period to be involved in for me. I look back on that with real fondness. Yeah, do you think it's anything we'd ever see in the future? MacDev bringing out a, a factory team again? Um, oh, gee, you know what? It's, it's sort of gone now, factory teams. it's Nowadays, the go is to, to find a well-established team or, or a good team that's up and coming or whatever and sponsor them. Um, I don't know if, if you can control a team. You know, we, we owned the X-Fighters because, you know, the, the reason we formed it was because we needed teams for the AXL. We needed um, franchise teams and there was no Sydney franchise, so we had to form it ourselves. Um, so it was lucky it turned out well because it could have been a, a shocker. We didn't have the best players in, in Sydney to play for the team so we had to do our best to train it but in the end it worked out well however it's not still going today because we still ran into problems over time and the culture broke down and unfortunately the team just had to go and even when you own the team and you can't hold it together properly it makes me think that it's not worth trying to go down that route you know uh, there's not very many companies that own a team that it just sticks around forever and can be at the top of its game so it's more useful for us to search out those teams that we've sponsored in the past like russian legion or someone really good um to sort of to sponsor rather than our own factory team if you know what i mean there was a lot of pitfalls to a factory team as well there's um as part of the some people might wonder if their success is being bought or, or, or things like that. So it might help to, to use an existing team. Yeah, and it's, um, it is something, it's it's different. Um, you know, I found playing, you know, on a team like SWAT where we did have Action Paintball as like our main, I guess we sort of were their factory team. And it's different when, um, if it's a group of guys that have gotten together and started a team that way, and they're all buddies, and that's like while they're they're on that team. Whereas it it was a different. Sometimes it yeah it was a bit different because you're all on that team because you were picked for that team, not not because you are all the best of friends. So yeah, it can be a bit. It's a bit of a different um like makeup of the team. So I yeah I can definitely see how like sometimes it can yeah it can definitely have some pitfalls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the wheels can fall off. 
yeah no it's um but yeah the same it's yeah it is uh i think i didn't really think about it until you said it I, yeah you don't don't really see that too often anymore like there, even in the states there's not you know the dye team or or anything like that there's no the sponsors seem to be a bit uh yeah haphazard like what whatever they can sort of get at the moment yeah, yes uh, yeah, yeah so there are still factory teams but they they're never as good they've all sort of slid down the ladder so they might be used for testing or whatever but serious sponsorship you look for a, a team that's well managed and run independently i think yeah and that things are constantly changing at the top end as well it's uh of of the sport um you know we're starting to see some outside paintball interest into the sponsorship role as well so it's you know it's exciting to see what's what's in the future for for that side of things you know uh, painful sponsorship and everything so yeah hopefully it brings more money into the sport more players yeah fingers crossed i mean anything that that helps teams that's one thing i've i've known from being involved in the teams is always a grind right with with money or travel or, or time with the family so anything that can help the guys to buy paint and and not feel so under the pump but it's it's like the holy grail that is not achieved very often in paintball yeah and it, it is um yeah it's it's something yeah you, these guys even the ones really at the top of their game they're just barely scraping together wages sometimes they're not um yeah they're not living like six-figure salaries or anything like that and <laughs> <laughs> no yeah this is probably a handful of teams where you'd say yeah they're really really comfortable i can yeah. say that from experience yeah, a little bit off off uh, track, but my, my biggest uh, fear for for that kind of thing is that d- just what the life after paintball. I worry about some of these guys that they might have been involved in the sport since they left school, and that's really all they've done. And they hit 30, they don't play anymore, and they're sort of left with this strange life where hopefully they've got a career in you know you know with like a company like yours or something like manufacturing, they can get into the paintball realm. Otherwise, they sort of just I've seen a few guys are uh, just float because they've got no no skills or anything all they know how to do is play paintball so it's uh yeah it's a bit of a shame yeah it is but there's there's plenty of people that make a go of it um so most of the people in paintball have been players like in the industry most of them have been players at some time or another or you look at the um field one companies the dynasty guys banding together because they were getting a bit old and wanted to make sure that exactly what you say and that's kind of worked for them so i think that's there's plenty of opportunity yeah well you know speaking of that do you guys have uh, any any players uh working for you or um yeah overseas like do you have any any ex-players or anything like that working working uh none none of that are really high profile um like our manager in the u.s um is is a really good player from you know div one semi pro um which is real good in the u.s oh yeah uh, that's, that's better right than our pro <laughs> yeah so i mean we we bring it we brought him over here when we needed help with the team and, and he was carving it up having a great time it was like a, a playland for him we got what was his um, name sorry ryan podesta yeah okay so you know him from mama's boys probably his, his most famous team yeah all right i uh yeah, I struggle enough to follow Aussie paintball as it, as it is for overseas. Well, you, I don't know if you know Jerry Devereaux. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so Jerry still works for us. 
are in the oh, States. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and our Europe manager, Federico, is quite a good player too. Um, so he plays with Druigs usually, or but he's he's easily good enough to handle himself on the second squad of, of Joy Division, I'd say, or something like that. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's always good to see uh, these guys that, I guess like it, uh, like any brand, it's good to have a bit of uh, player knowledge and, and stuff like that, a bit of a different input. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we've got more people that are players involved in the company that aren't. Uh, so James and I are probably outliers. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so um, so you know, you said that all the yeah anodizing and, and assembly happens overseas. So is is every Mac Dev gun still made in Australia? Yes, yes. So we machine it all here, get it all all as close to finished as we can here in Australia before we send it out. Um, the particularly the drive system. So I I try to explain it to people this way that if if the the gun was a car we make the engine and finish it completely and test it before it goes anywhere. Uh, the the body of the car and all the outside, which is, you know, like your gun body and your frame and stuff, we machine it all, but we don't anodize it or assemble all the things into it. Then we send it out to be finished and anodized and assembled and all that stuff. But the drive itself and the solenoid and these things that really make it work, they're completely finished and, and tested and just ready to put in the finished product. So yeah, awesome. that's how we do it. Yeah. So, um, and obviously it's probably a bit easier to deal with the, the overseas market sometimes uh, to, as far as, um, you know, customs and, or, or uh, licensing and that kind of stuff goes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, once it goes to the US, it's, it's just nothing. It's a toy. So that's easy. Um, so our biggest issue has always been if something has to come back here for warranty because it can't. So that's why we had to set up really good offices overseas because we couldn't have guns coming back for minor things. In fact, no, it doesn't come back for anything. If a gun can't be fixed overseas, then it just has to be replaced, um, which makes it harder for us. But luckily, it doesn't really happen very much anymore. Um, so, yeah, it's it, we're in a sort of a unusual situation, put it that way. Yeah, okay. So, so when the... When you manufacture the guns here, do they have to have serial numbers? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the uh, the actual letter of the law is that it's not really a gun until we put a serial number on it. Um, yeah. But they get very upset if we have guns laying around without serial numbers on it. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah. there's a there's a lot of legality and kind of detail about when we put it on there as well. The gun's yeah, kind of, right. once it's finished, it's got to have the serial number on it. Because I did notice that um, back when I first started playing, like, yeah, you guys would bring guns from New Zealand, say, and, oh, we need to quickly just scratch a serial number on it so we can bring it over. But I, I think, like, I, I haven't really had much to do with Europe, but a lot of European countries, they like serial numbers on the paintball guns. Yeah, well, they do. They? Yeah. yeah, and they've Europe has got, I don't know if you know about their F-stamping system. Do you know about that? Oh, no, I don't know. They've got because in Germany the the letter of the law is that you can't shoot more than about 275 feet per second, which is different to everywhere else. So they devise a system where they've got a stamp, which is like a, a hard stamp that that they punch into the gun to show that it's passed that test. And then of course the person just 
pulls out all the springs and and reworks it up to shoot 300. Yeah. Um, so they're familiar with that, having like all these marks on the gun to denote where it's come from and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's um, that's it. It sounds like it's it's enough of a headache just trying to um deal with Australian laws, let alone let, let alone you know every other country all across Europe and and America. Yeah, well, it's really only us and and the Germans. I mean, there's there's actually a minefield of everything. Like dealing with the world, it might not be law to do with the guns. Like for instance, South America, it's just hard to get a gun past customs because not because they're not allowed, but because when they see a gun, they think that needs a, a an extra, let's call it a bribe, um, yeah, to get okay. it passed. <laughs> yeah. And nobody wants to pay that. And so there's this ongoing kind of game of cat and mouse of getting guns into into South America. So this, this kind of minefield of every area has its own thing to worry about. And do you guys deal much through Asia as well? Not as much as we used to. We had a boom probably about 10 years ago, and then, um, yeah, we got shut out of the market pretty effectively. Um, it's, it's, it's on its way heading back in. We've just started to make real good inroads, but it's another thing that's political, and if you get on the wrong side of politics, sometimes it can cost you sales. It definitely happened here. It's, it's happened to us in Asia, but thankfully they're the two smallest world markets, I guess. Yeah, well, like I just remember the few times I've been over to Asia and, you know, in Thailand, Malaysia, and you're asking the guys, like, so what's the deal with paintball guns here? Like, what's the legalities? And I don't think I got the same answer twice. Like, people can't, <laughs> I don't think the locals know. They just sort of, oh, I, I, you just sort of get them. Like, I yeah, they're not really quite sure. So I think they're similar to here. Like, they're just, for a while, they're probably just going to be this, this thing. Like, what is it? Is it? It's not really a gun, but it's not a toy. Just... Yeah, with with Malaysia particularly, they, they suddenly decided because it was always illegal, but a, a blind eye was turned to it, and then there was a change in in the government thinking, and they suddenly just clamped down, and then everybody went into a little hole. So they shut down paintball effectively for about three years. So that's why um, people are confused about what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do over there. Yeah, and uh, well, I've even heard similar things about Japan. Like I know paintball there. I I think the feet per second is 150 or something. They've got to stick to. Um, yeah, it's, it sounds like some of those countries have have uh, bad bad laws when it, when it comes to paintball. It's, uh, yeah, it's the backward the backward ones pretty much. Um, when I say backward, I mean that that the paintball hasn't had enough time to lobby. So that's what's made them backward. Um, and, you know, Asia's an interesting one because there's a really strong lobbyer over there and he's done such an amazing job. And I think that's why there was a blind eye turned for so long and then for some reason he let it slip and the whole thing fell apart. So it was kind of like our event with, with Port Arthur where suddenly all hell broke loose. Um, that's the issue with paintball, unfortunately, that the equipment makes it hard to grow. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's not like soccer. You can't just take the footy down the, you know, down the park and kick it around. You sort of, there's a, a lot, a lot involved to setting up a paintball game, and uh, yeah, it's not as, yeah, it's it is hard to understand for some people, you know, even to explain it to to people what it is. 
So, yeah, well, but we're, we're making inroads. It's part of what makes it fun as well, isn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> you know, shooting someone with a gun <laughs> it makes it fun. Yeah, well, it's, it is one of those things, you know, it's uh, something you can't do every day. So, <laughs> it's, uh, no, it's amazing. So, yeah, it would be good to see. Um, I, I think paintball needs one of those. It seems very disjointed around the world. It needs one of those, like we need a, a worldwide body or something to be able to to really get get it into. Um, yep. But yeah, yeah I, good good luck getting that happening. <laughs> yeah, I only giggle because it's it's been done or the attempts been made about three times that I've seen, um, and I'm sure people have tried more times than that, but um, it just never works. Unfortunately, if only it could work. Yeah, there's just um, too many vested, too many different um, people that are interested in trying to make money out of it. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, that's not even the reason because if it grows, everybody makes more money. So it's it's yeah, okay. it's not like it's it. not that yeah. it's it's small mindedness or um or somebody trying to make sure that they own um their little piece rather than let it grow so that everyone can own the same amount of pieces. Um, that are all add up to much bigger. That, that's what it is. I'm, I've travelled a lot for paintball, and unfortunately, yeah. that's what I see is the right word for it is small mindedness. Unfortunately, in local, smaller places that choke things off. Yeah, no, it's um, yeah, I haven't I haven't really travelled much outside of Australia and Asia, but even in that small thing, you know, what you say, pretty much is is true. It's uh, yeah, sometimes it can just be. It's just like two, you know, two main bodies, and they just can't get along, and and that's it. That's as far as it goes, and the whole the whole pool of players ends up being divided. Um, yeah, and they just can't ever really get past there. So it's a uh, it's a shame, but maybe one day one day it'll happen. <laughs> yeah, well, if we can get grassroots going in Australia, I, I see that as the difference between us and the US. That um. The U.S. is really its grassroots movement, which is why paintball won't die over there because there's guys that don't travel more than 20 minutes because there's three fields there and you can go to any one of them and you don't get static about having been at the other one the weekend before. Um, and it just is a, a culture of you can just go to any field and it's all fine and you can bring your gun and you can bring your paint um, and there's no... Uh, that was always the thing holding you back is that, that if the field operator's worried about where you've got your paint from from one week to the next or, or where you bought your gun from or anything like that, it creates a culture of sort of fear or or um, you know panic and gets people uncomfortable and then they leave the sport. That doesn't happen in in the US. Yeah, it's they are a bit um, a bit lucky there that yeah they are. A bit spoiled for choice i i've heard uh it gets a bit different like that you know around the country in like new south wales with our laws and in victoria with our laws like they're they're quite strict but in you know western australia they had that uh for a while there the way it was explained to me that they could sort of open up fields wherever they wanted so there was um it was quite easy to set up a field there so they they did have that for a while it sounded you know lots of options to play so lots of people getting into the sport but um i think that's that's slowly drifted away over the last few years it's a shame it is it is there was a while there that i thought you know western australia would show everybody the right way but turns out not uh, which is a shame 
Yeah, but you know, if we keep getting these advancements in the in the laws, that maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Yeah, what we really need is numbers. You know, numbers in the sport. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, like you say, at a grassroots level, you know, guys, um, just coming in and enjoying it for what it is, not not taking it too serious. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um. You know, while I got you on the on the show here, some a question I've been asking all my guests. Uh, do you think there's anyone, you know, from the history of of paintball that when you've been involved that you would think would be a good fit for the show? Um, yes, uh, there's knowing who you've had on before, who you've picked some good people, and you could um, you could probably want to just for interest's sake of of um, having his hands in every pie or seeing just about everything happen, you might want to talk to Peter Russell. Yeah. No, that's uh, he's a, a a good name to have. If I can, uh, yeah, I know he's off in the in America at the moment, so might have to check out some time zones and uh, see if we can get him on. <laughs> I guarantee you, he'll want to talk about himself. Yeah. No, it's that's good. He's he's got a lot of stories to tell. So. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, while you've got the air and, and you're on here, was there anyone, you know, that like normally this is where I ask for people to shout out to sponsors. So, you know, was there anyone that you'd like to give a shout out to? Anyone in, in the sport that sort of helped you that you'd like to, to thank while you've while you're on the line? Well, there's a lot of people. There's um, you know, all the old X-Fighters guys, you know who you are, you know, who uh, kept me on board even when they had to carry me. <laughs> and it, pretty much anyone who who's sort of been involved and helped us and used our gear and thought well of us. Like, we, we really appreciate it. It doesn't matter how well we do anywhere. Whatever we do in Australia always makes us feel better. So, you know, you guys are appreciated. Oh, that's cool. It's, uh, yeah, it's good. It, I, you know, I watch the company and, and how, how big you guys are becoming overseas. And I, I often thought about that. Like, I wonder if you guys still even you know if your eyes are always elsewhere but it's no it's good to hear that that you are yeah it's good to no when to know. when we sell a gun here in australia it's like we've sold 100 overseas that's that's the feeling it's just uh it's nicer to sell it here that's how we feel yeah and it's um you know it's like i said earlier it's good to see aussie companies doing things and uh you know everyone with all this covid 19 stuff is saying oh we're gonna start buying aussie again so so now's our chance where we can uh, start supporting an Aussie company. Yeah. Well, we're always here. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, if if people want to, you know, get in touch with uh, with the guys in uh, in Australia, like, what's the best? Where would be the best way to to follow what MacDev's doing in Australia? Um, you can just you can go to our main web uh, website, which is macdevpaintball.com, and just hit us up on the email, or you can see us on Facebook and. We're always on there, just kind of lurking around. Um, it is a bit international, but the world's so small, uh, you can just hit us up, and we're I'm in contact with Australian guys all the time. Yeah, it is cool to see. Uh, yeah, all the different. Yeah, like you said, the cooking competitions and stuff like that going on. So, yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it's the world is a smaller place these days <laughs> with with technology. Yeah, and that's blowing up, and and there's no Australians on there. So uh, anyone who wants to put their hand up. Give us a give us a buzz for season two. They're already talking season two on it. It's been so successful. Yeah, no, no we'll, uh, I'll definitely uh, keep in touch. We might see some Aussies on there. It'll be good to see. Yeah. 
All right. Well, yeah, thanks so much for chatting to me, Scott. Yeah, no worries at all. Thanks for thanks for stopping in and uh, giving up giving up your time. No worries at all. That's a wrap on another episode of Down Under Paintball. Thank you once again to Burke Grundy for dropping by and having a chat. Hope you guys enjoyed that one as much as I did. So don't forget, if you want to support the show, there is a Patreon that you can do that through. Just search out Down Under Paintball on the website Patreon. There's also a video version of the show on YouTube and Facebook. If you want to check that out, just search Down Under Paintball. We are now getting closer and closer to those lockdowns being lifted, seen all around the country, all except New South Wales, that we are back out playing paintball in limited numbers, but it's still good to see. Just wanted to leave everyone with a little tidbit, something I heard on another podcast. You know, all these people are talking about on their Facebooks that coming out of this lockdown that we have to have learned how to play guitar or learn how to bake something. You know, if you just got through this and you didn't, come out with a a brand new skill don't feel so bad i think just getting through this whole ordeal in this lockdown and coming out the other side sane is a massive achievement in its own so remember everyone just stay safe out there stay sane and look after each other and let's all hopefully see each other on the paintball field in the next few weeks thank you once again everybody for tuning in and checking this out I'm Scott and you're listening to Down Under Paintball. See you next week.